Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm your host, John Williamson, and uh, we're back with a new guest this week, actually a new old guest. She is returning, uh, I think about a year and a half, maybe two years ago. Uh, I can't quite remember exactly, but it was episode 133, if you're curious. Uh, Dr. Janet Kellogg-Ray is back on uh, this week's episode and was with us once before uh, promoting her book at the time, Baby Dinosaurs on the Ark. Uh, she is a professor of biology at the University of North Texas, and she speaks and writes at the intersection of science, culture, and faith. Uh, we discuss the disconnect between faith and science and why science isn't at odds with religion um, and, and why the two are what we would refer to as, as dance partners, uh, we think. And uh, anyway, she has a new book out. That's fantastic, called The God of Monkey Science, People of Faith in a Modern Scientific World. A lot has happened since last we spoke. Uh, we talk all about the fact that I think the first time we spoke, it felt like it was sort of uh, in the midst of the height of the pandemic. And so lots has happened. A lot, a lot of things have happened since then. And uh, there still seems to be sort of this like uh, battle between science and religion. And um, we just talk about the fact that, you know, we don't, we don't feel that way. Like, uh, again, we feel that the two are, are very much partners and, uh, and are not at odds. So we talk all about that, and and uh, I learned a lot. So hopefully you guys learn a lot too, and enjoy this episode. But this is part one, and next week we will drop part two. But until then, I give you Dr. Janet Kellogg Ray. But I think it's calling to me. I think it's calling to me. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. I have Janet Kellogg-Ray back on with me today. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. Thanks, John. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Anytime. I, um, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and I, I was really excited to have you back on because the time that's passed, the, I think the last time that we spoke was before sort of the pandemic hit. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really was kind of curious that whole time. I'm like, I wonder what she's thinking about sort of the way that society has responded to this whole mess. And, uh, and here we are, you've got a new book out, The God of Monkey Science, People of Faith in, in a Modern Scientific World. And that's, that's pretty accurate. So um, uh, I think I know where the title of the book came from. But tell, your, tell the listeners a little bit about how you came up with the, uh, the title of this book. Well, in, uh, I'm glad you brought up the first book, because the first book, which was about evangelical uh, science denial, specifically the denial of evolution, uh, launched in the fall of 2021. And so I was in the midst of all things book launching during the spring and summer uh, before the fall of 2021. And it was, I think it was February of 2021, and the governor of Texas, not surprisingly, uh, ended the mask the the mask mandate for the state of Texas. Now, at the time when the governor did this, only about seven percent of the state's population had been vaccinated because the vaccines had just begun to roll out to non-medical personnel. And so, I was in a, a group chat. Uh, with some folks, and someone brought up the fact, oh, did you see that the governor uh, ended the mask mandate? Well, 
you know, I'm kind of known for my opinions on all things science. So I, I kind of hung back a little bit, but there was, it was, it was very simple. You know, people were saying, oh man, isn't this a little early? Uh, aren't we jumping the gun a little bit? I haven't gotten my vaccine yet. And, you know, comments like this. And someone else had um, commented, oh, well, I'm getting my vaccine, you know, next Tuesday or whenever. And so I jumped in with a comment, something along the lines like, go ribosomes, go, you know, some science (laughs) nerdy comment. And, you know, as you, as will happen uh, when you write something for um, others to see and comment on, not everyone is going to like what you say. Well, there was a comment, uh, uh, follow up, I assume, to what I said Uh, that went something along these lines. Um, There she goes again, Janet and her monkey god science. Oh, my. (laughs) I actually know uh, the commenter, and I know that this commenter uh, is anti-vax. It tends to be anti-modern medicine in general. I also know that this commenter has called my evolution supporting monkey science before, monkey science before, not the monkey god science before. And so I wasn't offended. I wasn't terribly shocked to hear it from this particular poster. But what I was perplexed about was why monkey god science? I mean, I, I, the, the conversation was not about evolution. It wasn't about my support of evolution. It was about masks and vaccines and a pandemic. You know, what did one thing have to do with the other? You know, and so that uh, before this, the first book had been launched, the wheels were turning in my head. And over the next uh, year and a half or so, I uh, was digging deep into a lot of social media, which as we were all um, uh, isolated at home, we did a lot of social media, uh, listening to a lot of people. And uh, what I found was that there was this perfect Venn diagram of people who denied evolution Uh, And who were also uh, very much against uh, all things COVID, whether it would be distrust of the scientists or the vaccines or not wanting to wear masks. And then coming down into this Venn diagram here, we had people who also uh, were deniers and resistant to any evidence for human involvement in climate change. And so... Mm. There you go. That's the story behind the God of Monkey Science. Oh my. Yeah, and it's it's been uh, I would say for those of us who are on the side of science and and God, uh and yes, those two things can coexist. <laughs> um it's been a very frustrating last we'll say, you know, 5 6 7 years. Mm-hmm. Um and and of course the pandemic just exacerbated uh that whole sort of debate because it it this thing that was never, I, I'm sorry, but like, I think we've talked about this before, like science. And, uh, as I was, I was prone to saying often during the early days, especially of the pandemic, you know, the, 
the virus is uh, is not Republican or Democrat. It doesn't give a crap like which political party you follow. It's going to get mm-hmm. inside your body and do what it does. Mm-hmm. Like that's just mm-hmm. the way it works. Right. But this thing that that is not political at all became suddenly political, and people kind of drew a line in the sand and fell on one side or the other. And I, it just it still like baffles me. I just don't understand how we got here. Well, interestingly, uh, that was one of the first rabbit holes that I fell down, just trying to trace the history of evangelical science denial. And again, when I say evangelical, I kind of go into more of this in the book. I'm not just talking about people who attend an overtly evangelical church. A lot of people are just politically evangelical or maybe Catholic or Mormon or no religion at all, but still identify with many of the characteristics that we would uh, use to describe evangelicals. So the first deep dive I went into was just to see how did we get here? How did we get to this point? Because you know, scientists used to be our heroes. Uh, when the polio vaccine was released, people were dancing in the streets, ringing church bells, the race to space. We were proud of our scientists. You know, we were proud of our country. We were proud, especially of our American science. But, you know, so what happened? And I found that we really had to go back to ground zero. And that's the Scopes, called the Scopes Monkey Trial uh, in 1925. Um, You know, it's interesting that during what was called the, the trial of the century, at least not that, it was the science trial of the century. It was interesting to find out that no scientist at all testified during the Scopes trial and that no science evidence at all was entered into the testimony. Yet uh, Scopes was convicted of teaching human evolution and um, off we went. So why the 1920s? Why did this become a big deal all of a sudden? I mean, Darwin's work had been out for decades before now. So why did it all come to a climax in a courtroom in Tennessee um, during the Scopes trial? You know, um, we have to kind of put it into a historical context and understand that at the same time that Darwin's work was becoming uh, more well-known outside of scientific uh, precincts, there was a theology that came about actually at the same time that Darwin was writing that was coming out of Germany that likewise was becoming more um, understood, more known by the rank and file um, common everyman. And it was known, is known today as historical biblical criticism. So this is the idea that uh, the Bible perhaps should be read through ancient eyes and that perhaps uh, the Bible wasn't the very actual words from the actual mouth of God, and that maybe we should look at, at history and context and genre and things like that. And so in the 1920s, both of these ideas were coming into um, the public mindset. So on one hand, you had these scientists 
telling us that we came from monkeys and weren't uh, specially created by God. And on the other hand, you had these intellectual elites telling us that the Bible wasn't the dictated words of God. And so where we see that coming to a climax is in the Scopes trial. Well, back to no science being introduced. Uh, The prevailing attorney was William Jennings Bryan. He was a very popular guy of his time. You know, uh, if he were alive today, he would have a talk radio show or he Mm. would be on cable news. Uh, He was known as the great or I'm sorry, the great commoner is what he was known as. And so when he uh, was speaking against evolution during the Scopes trial, he basically had three talking points. He's a he's a talk show guy. So he's got his talking points. He said, first of all, there's no evidence for evolution, and even scientists don't support it. Uh, The second thing he did was he characterized those who support evolution as being enemies of the Bible. And then finally, and this is a big one, uh, Brian said that because the majority of people in the United States uh, do not accept evolution, their rights are being violated when evolution is being taught in the public school. So, you know, we went along for a few decades and, you know, evolution uh, was the only big science bad guy. Uh, But here we found ourselves in the 21st century and lo and behold, arguments against all things covid arguments against uh, climate science, we find embedded in all of this 21st century rhetoric, we find these argument fossils that were initially uh, launched against evolution. Now they're retooled and launched another day. The science is overblown, whether we're talking about COVID or or, uh, the climate. Science threatens our faith. Science is, is putting is not putting your faith in God, but putting your faith in science instead. And then here is a big one, is that science comes at a cost, or acceptance of science evidence, I should say, comes at a cost to personal rights and freedoms. And there you go. We just have conditioned ourselves for decades and, and using the same arguments that were used in the 1920s against evolution, here we go with COVID, here we go with climate science, and you can find the same line of argumentation uh, used against these 21st century areas of science concern. I think my biggest complaint is if if you're going to take that stance, then you have to be you have to go 100 percent in then, you know, then that means I get to come to your house and take your uh, Tylenol and your cough syrup and your heart medication. And so, like, you can't just on one hand say, well, I don't believe in science, but, you know, I but I'm going to take Tylenol uh, on the side like you have to go 100 percent in Then I think Uh, that's that's at least my opinion anyway. (laughs) Well, and, you know, I think that where that um, U-turn was made uh, was a few decades after um, the Scopes trial. Um, In the late 1970s, early 1980s, the Young Earth Creationist Movement 
um, the modern young earth creationist movement uh, was birthed out of a um, out of a quest to make creationism a legitimate science. And mm. so, you know, before uh, fighting against evolution had been a theological principle talked about in churches. But late 70s, 1980s, we see the birth of these big uh, young earth creationist institutions and think, think tanks. And with the goal of trying to uh, investigate or trying to find evidence for creation science. Well, it didn't take long before, um, you know, those, those individuals and in those institutions found that it couldn't be done. There uh, wasn't the evidence, the science evidence for the things that they were looking for. So they switched gears in the 1980s. And instead of evolution being a theological problem, evolution then became the source of all uh, societal ills. Evolution became the source of uh, of um, abortion, homosexuality, uh, disobedient children, uh, gun violence, you name it. Evolution was uh, was credited with those um, societal ills, with those cultural ills. And so now we, have, we find that we've continued along that path and fighting science has become a front in the culture wars. So when... Uh, COVID came in and our uh, economy had to be shut down to a degree. Uh, we were asked to wear masks. Uh, we were asked to do uh, to not gather in large groups. Uh, all of a sudden, our rights were being violated by the big, bad government. And then who was pushing for it? It was the scientists. So instead of being our heroes, the scientists just became shills of those who would want to attack our very American way of life. You know, uh, it's those scientists that for decades have been trying to make atheists out of our children by teaching them evolution. And now what are those scientists doing? They're shutting down our churches or they're making us wear masks. You know, what are they going to do next? Are they going to make us make a cake for somebody we don't want to? And so it became all tied up in this big culture war. So when science became a front in a culture war, you know, all bets were off. But you're exactly right. There is just this disconnect uh, between what we accept as science and what we see as a front in a culture war. Most people will take a Tylenol for a headache. Most people want their uh, surgeons to wash uh, her hands before she operates because they believe that germ theory is real when it comes to uh, surgery, uh, but they doubt germ theory when it comes to uh, understanding or accepting the science behind a novel coronavirus. So yeah, there's that. A lot of culture warriorism going on there. Yeah, and, and again, you just continue to see these uh, examples of just the pure hypocrisy 
where, you know, all of a sudden at the uh, sort of at the tail end of uh, sort of um, co- the height of covid, you see these folks now uh, rebelling against the vaccine, my body, my rights. But yet yep. when it comes to women's reproductive rights, no, no, no. No. You're like, do you not even see you're using the same slogan? <laughs> it just, yep. you know, and, yeah. and I think it it becomes they have forced a situation where it becomes an all or nothing proposition where right. if you are a biblical, biblical literalist and you think that everything is literal in the Bible, then, you know, it, it, then it becomes a house of cards theology, we might call it, because if all of a sudden evolution is proven to be real, then that collapses the entire system. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so talk about, you know, in the beginning of the book, you talk about the playbook and I think you're sort of already kind of talking about that here. Um, just in terms of, um, the, the approach to sort of this weird battle against science. And yet again, if, if, if one of those individuals had a loved one who was dying, they're not, not going to call 911. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I was when you were when you were talking just then, I thought of something else. You know, just when you think things are dying down, and we've got mm. some of that behind us, uh, this summer, this fall, there are state legislatures across the country with bills before their legislature houses to do away with school vaccines. The vaccines that school children have gotten for decades. And so we're seeing this um, continuation there in uh, being uh, anti-vax as, you know, before we were okay with taking the measles vaccines, except for, uh, you know, a a certain segment of the population. Uh, But now we're seeing it actually being put up before our lawmakers to do away with school vaccines. vaccines. But but you're right. You know, there is this playbook that we see. And I think it can always all be traced back to that the talking points that uh, Bryant uh, gave us, you know, especially, you know, those talking points about our rights being violated and um, and and science attacking in some way. Um, our faith or our religion, that somehow uh, science is out to make everyone uh, an atheist and that scientists are just shills that are wanting to uh, infringe upon our rights, you know, our right to drive our big gas guzzling car truck when we don't really need it, you know, for work. Uh, Those scientists want to take away our rights to have um, a gas stove and even a ceiling fan. That's been the the latest um, way in which scientists want to encroach on our rights. But, um, you know, it is, it's just tragic. Uh, The fallout of fighting uh, science in the form of evolution, it's tragic when we see the fallout of that um, absolutely forming and coloring the way that people are approaching 21st century science. And, and what is fascinating to me, it's not just people from uh, religious backgrounds that are mm. feeling uh, the pain of evolution denial by religious people. You know, in the book, I talk about 
one of the most stunning pieces of research to me that I found uh, while I was uh, writing and researching for the book. And this was a large research study done uh, of public school biology teachers, public school now, not a small Christian school, but public school biology teachers, uh, looking at how these public school teachers approached teaching the topic of evolution. And so, um, unfortunately, the the survey found that about 13% of public school teachers overtly teach creationism. But that wasn't the worst piece of news. Uh, The worst piece of news was that more than 60%, the survey, the study uh, researchers called them the cautious 60%, because teachers were so hesitant to raise the ire of parents and the community by overtly teaching uh, evolution. Evolution was soft-pedaled. Um, in by 60% of these public school teachers, they didn't take a strong stand one way or another. So, you know, what did that look like? Well, for some teachers, it looked like just completely skipping the human part or maybe just focusing on the molecular level. But all too often, what that looked like was this. Okay, students, you don't have to believe this. Just learn it for the test. Generations of students have been told regarding evolution, you don't have to believe this, just learn it for the test. So generations of students, whether religious or not, have been told in their public schools that science is a matter of values and beliefs and not evidence. That science is not something that is evidence-based. That you can make your own decision about science because it's only a matter of your opinion, uh, your beliefs, your values. So fast forward uh, to the 21st century and My opinion is no more valuable than your opinion regarding masking or vaccinations or social gatherings. The opinion, the opinion of scientists is no more valuable than my opinion regarding the the novel coronavirus and what it uh, is expected to do and how it behaves. After all, I did my own research too. And how much trouble did we get into during the pandemic because science was a matter of a belief or an opinion or a value and not something that was evidence-based? Yeah, I think I think we clearly got ourselves into a, a, a lot of trouble uh, and still continue to because Bob, you know, Googled something and, and, you know, ended up on a website with one person's opinion that is not fact-based whatsoever or peer reviewed or any of those things. Mm -hmm. And then on on top of that, uh, the other thing that I I find confounding is when, when COVID first hit the shores and, and sort of, you know, sort of take off throughout the population is that, uh, 
Yeah, we took some pretty stringent approach uh, approaches to it initially, and and I keep looking at some some of my friends even who are like, well, I don't understand why we're doing X, Y, and Z. And I said, you know, wouldn't you if you had a brand new virus that no one had ever encountered before? None of us have natural immunity built up to fight it, and you don't know what it's going to do. Nor do you know the long term effects. This could be as simple as a cold, or it could kill you. We don't know. Would you not take the strictest approach possible and be on the safe side rather than not doing enough uh, at the, the cost of potentially millions you know, and millions of lives? And, and, and the idea being we can always scale back, but you mm-hmm. can't go backwards. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and what you're describing there is just a basic failure of science communication and Mm -hmm. science literacy. And again, that goes across the board, uh, just not understanding how science and scientists work. And, And absolutely, there were breakdowns in science communication. But like you said, it was a novel virus. Things were changing daily, sometimes even hourly at times, as we got more information. And so, you know, I think that the uh, that the general population outside of, of science precincts seems to think that once uh, someone uh, representing a scientific uh, background speaks, it's not written in stone. In fact, I tell my students the first day of every semester that if you ever hear someone say something is proven in science, that's a huge red flag. That scientists don't speak in terms of proof. Scientists speak in terms of the best evidence that we have at the time. You know, and so I say, you know, will the vaccine turn you into a zombie in 20 years? (laughs) Well, you know, we don't know. But there's absolutely no evidence that says it will. And so, you know, we got into all sorts of trouble during uh, during the pandemic about, you know, early on uh, when we weren't sure if asymptomatic people could spread and people were hoarding everything, including toilet paper and paper towels, you know. (laughs) And nobody had a supply of face masks, surgical masks, you know, just tucked away in their kitchen pantry somewhere. And so, you know, the idea was before we were sure that asymptomatic spreaders um, were a thing, then maybe we should save what few masks there were on the market for our medical personnel. Uh, And then a few months later, we found out why, yes, people that are asymptomatic can spread. You know, we had all these weddings and funerals and gatherings of people that refused to mask and all these giant outbreaks that that went. Um, But when we weren't sure, we reserve what we had for our medical personnel. My husband is a medical doctor and a lot of his patients are elderly and he never went to telemedicine. Uh, he didn't miss a day um, seeing his patients. And so, you know, pre-vaccination, it was critical for uh, docs like him 
that we're still seeing their patients, uh, especially high-risk patients, elderly patients. It was critical that these people have the mask. But when we found out that really everyone needs one, you know, science switched gears. But we had all sorts of people just having rigors that, uh, you know, Fauci lied, the NIH is lying, and, you know, just not understanding um, how science works. You know, and the same thing with with uh, accepting all of these, you know, alternative treatments, the hydroxychloroquine, uh, ivermectin, you know, all of these things that... Uh, just the general population outside of science areas did not understand the difference between anecdotal evidence and peer-reviewed, uh, double-blind, controlled studies. And we're uh, putting anecdotal evidence on the equal with mm. a rigorous science study. So, you know, there was a lot of breakdown in science communication, uh, but as a science educator, I think that a lot of the breakdown lands on us. Uh, mm. I've taught science from middle school to the last 18 years in a university. And I think all too often we focus on facts instead of process. And so again, we have uh, generations of people who have not uh, really been exposed to the process of science. You know, they can name all the planets and the chemical and the chemi the chemicals on the periodic table, but you know, do they really understand how scientist works? Where the company line was the only way to get paid. We built a church uncertainty that fears everything against it where the refugee suffers and the white man has it made I won't do it anymore it's taken me